James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27, isn't very hard to understand. There are a few tricky bits of the text that we could drill down into. Does James mean quick to listen to God or to people? In verse 19, what exactly is the perfect law that gives freedom in verse 25? Uh, is there a pattern with the three don't be deceived in verse 16, 22 and 26? There were some tricky bits of the text, but by and large, James 1, verses 19 to 27, isn't very hard to understand. If you're listening to this sermon, mainly to, to get a grasp of the passage, can I put it to you that you probably don't need to? Probably pretty much work it out, work it out on your own, even the teenagers amongst us. James 1, verses 19 to 27. This isn't very hard to understand, but my word, it's hard to do. It isn't very hard to understand, but my word, it is hard to do. And God has used these verses to, uh, to judge the thoughts and attitudes of my heart this week, as uh, Hebrews 4 verses 12 tells us that Scripture can do. Because, um, because I like listening to the Word. I, by and large, enjoy reading the Bible. I like digging into parts that I don't know very well. I like exploring the text, trying to work out what it means. I like to listen to the Word. But James writes in verse 22, do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And it would be okay, verse 22, if you just took it on its own, uh, in the screen, on, in the moment, hopefully you'll see, uh, yeah, if you just have this and you save it as your, as your wallpaper on your phone, this would be okay, this verse, on its own. But the problem is, there's also this verse, just a couple of verses earlier, probably not, not so popular, for, for wallpaper on your phone. And I was feeling, I was feeling very worked up about something earlier this week, I won't go into the details of, of what and why, but, but I felt like I had some reasons to, to feel worked up. I was, I was feeling fairly justified in feeling frustrated. And then I sat down at my desk with this passage, and I read, Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And it was like a pin <coughs> to my heart. However justified I might feel in feeling wound up, what was going to come of it? Nothing good. I needed to get rid of that anger. And so God showed me that although James 1 verse 22 isn't very hard to understand, my word, it's hard to do. Maybe you find that too. James probably suspects that you do, I reckon, from including him in this letter. Uh, we're in the final section uh, this morning of this introductory chapter of this very practical letter written by the Apostle James, Jesus' half-brother, to Christians all over the Roman Empire. And James has used this first chapter to introduce many of the themes that he'll pick up later in the book, uh, themes like trials, wisdom, uh, riches and poverty. And this final section, it is no different. He gives us three more, kind of loosely collected, they're connected, but sort of also standalone nuggets of teaching. Uh, the first one, in verses 19 to 21, is mainly about our attitude to God's Word. 
And then the second and third that we'll look at together in verses 22 to 25 and verses 26 and 27. And that's more about how our attitude and plays out in our actions regarding God's word. So we'll look at our attitude to God's word and our actions. So first, our attitude, our first point, accept the word that has been implanted in you. Accept the word that has been planted in you. Let's read again from verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. You're going to want to write this down, James Walls. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Um, I'm pretty sure I've already got that written down somewhere, James. It's in Proverbs 10, verse 19, Ecclesiastes 5, verses 2 and 3. We already know, James, that we should stop and listen to what the other person is actually saying before we work ourselves up into a state. But then we remember that this instruction isn't here because it's something that you're not going to have thought to do before, a genius new unheard of conflict management strategy. No. It's not at all hard to understand. James knows it. But it's hard to do. Why? Because we don't want to. Now don't get me wrong, we're, we're pretty good at pretending to do it. Uh, we know how to nod and make the right sounds, we, we somehow manage not to put our hands over our ears when people are talking to us. <coughs> but are we actually listening? Do we stop, take in and really think about what they have to say? Are we willing to change what we think based on what they've said? Or do we just let them say their piece and then just pretty much repeat what we said before in response? Maybe it's just me. And the second one, be slow to speak. Well, I would be slower to speak if I wasn't so frequently right. <laughs> just, I've just thought about, about this a lot before. And you, well, I'm not sure you really understand. I don't think you get the context. I don't think you're seeing all the issues involved here. So come on, let, let me just tell you how it really is. And if I don't get to speak my mind, if I don't get to set the record straight, or they don't listen when I do, where does it end up? It ends up in anger. Feeling wound up. Why, why don't they get it? Why won't they listen? I've been trying to tell them this whole time. And we feel so self-righteous in our anger. At least I do. But where does that anger lead? Even if it's a little bit justified, even if, big picture, we are kind of right and they're wrong. Well, where does it lead? Verse 20. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It leads nowhere good. However justified it might be, however right I might be, human anger leads <coughs> nowhere good. That doesn't mean it's never wrong to, to correct something to bring truth to a situation. I think it's more about that, that feeling of self-justification, self-vindication that so often sits in my anger. Well, no, no good will come from that, however right I might think I am. So ditch it, says James. Ditch it. Find a better way to deal with the problem. And don't just ditch the anger, he goes on. Verse 21. Get rid of all moral filth 
and the evil that is so prevalent. Christian, do you not see how much sin there still is in your life? Do you not see how filthy your heart still is? Do you not see that that does not belong? Like you would throw off your mud-soaked running kit after a run through the fields, throw off your sin. And put on your clean clothes? <coughs> well, no, <coughs> not for James. I'm sure he'd agree. When Paul gives that instructions in, in Ephesians 4, as we were learning back in uh, November, but that's not where James goes. Rather, verse 21, the second half, humbly accept the word planted in you. You can bask in your self righteous anger, James says, or you can humbly accept God's word planted in you. Those are the two options. And it's not the contrast that we were expecting. It doesn't really feel like we're comparing equal things. A lost temper versus accepting or not accepting the word of God. Is that really the choice? And haven't we already accepted God's word when we became Christians? Well, yes. But it's possible, says James, having accepted God's word once, to live in a way that is not under it, day by day. How could that happen? Well, it's in the little things, says James. It's in how we treat each other and how we think of each other. For if I'm slow to listen, quick to speak, short-tempered, with my brother or sister, always thinking that I'm right and they're wrong. Well, does that suggest something about how I think of and relate to God? It sets off warning bells, I think. So ditch the anger, ditch the filth. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Did you notice how much grace how much hope there is in those last few words. We saw last week in chapter 1, verse 18, that God has given us birth through the word of truth. We've been brought from death to life by God's word. God's word is more like an elixir of life, a miracle drug prescribed to you, than a course of treatment, a diet, a set of exercises that you've got to follow. God's word has made what was death alive. And God's word is, it's not like a midwife, around for the birth and a few weeks after, and then that's it, you're on your own. No, God has put his word inside us. He has planted his word inside us. He's planted it so that it can grow. <coughs> Human anger, well, that produces nothing. It's fruitless. God's word, well, that grows within us. It grows us towards the righteousness that God desires. And it grows us towards salvation. And all we have to do is accept it. We don't have to earn it, it's been given to us. We don't have to find it right here in our hands, in our hearts. We don't have to grow it. That's God's job. We're just a soil. All we have to do is accept it. And so I wonder, 
What would it look like for you to humbly accept God's word this week? Perhaps you haven't ever humbly accepted God's word. You're a Christian on the, on the outside. You, you go through the motions, you know what to say, how to act, you look the part. You've never actually accepted God's word in your heart. You haven't repented of your sin and submitted to Jesus. Well, let me urge you to consider doing that, if that is you. But for most of us, this will be seen in the daily struggle of accepting the rightness of God's word over what I think and what I want. <clears throat> giving up our autonomy, uh, giving up our place on the throne of our lives and giving it to God. Giving up the uh, I am always right mindset. It's my way or the highway. Mother knows this. I did it my way. And choosing God's word and God's way. <coughs> And as James so adeptly shows us, where will it most easily and clearly be seen, whether we're doing that, in our relationships with others. So what is that relationship where it just really gets to you, they don't listen, that you can't make them see, that they just don't seem to get it, that you've tried to tell them again and again? Where are those situations where you just find it really difficult can't seem to get your point across, that you don't feel heard, don't feel listened to. Be careful, says James. Be careful. Because those feelings of frustration and anger, understandable though they might be, might just be a little window into not just how right you think you are and how wrong you think they are, but how right you think you are and how wrong you think God is. So be careful. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So our first point is more about our, our attitude to God's word, whether we'll sit humbly under it or demand to be lord over it. Our second point is about how we act towards God's word. So our actions do what the word that has been planted in you says. Verses 22 to 27. Do what the word that has been planted in you says. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then James follows with a wonderful illustration in verse 33. And anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Imagine it's, uh, it's the day of your interview. You arrive in good time, so you pop the toilets uh, to freshen up, you, you straighten up your tie, you give yourself a good talking to, sort out your collar, spot a bit of breakfast between your teeth, then you notice a coffee stain on your shirt. You desperately try to, uh, to get rid of it with some hot water from the tap. You can't get it out, you see the time, you panic, you head back out to the reception area, they've called in for your interview, and you do the interview with a piece of apple skin still stuck between your teeth. <laughs> Who would do that? It's ridiculous. And, and yet, don't we all, says James, don't we all do that, at least a little bit, with the Bible? Isn't that what you're doing when, uh, on Tuesday, you're accidentally with the same passage in your quiet time on Monday, and then you only realise in the final verse, that's what you read yesterday? Isn't that what we do when, um, by Monday, all we can remember about Sunday's sermon 
was the, the twisted passage. Isn't that what we do when, uh, when we're hungry and we love the observation questions? What does the text say? We're not such a fan of the implication questions. What, what does it mean for us? What does this look like tomorrow? We love to listen, especially in a highly educated city like Oxford. We're good at doing the staring into the mirror bit, reading our Bibles, listening to sermons, podcasts, uh, reading Christian books and blogs and all sorts of things. We love to listen. We can tell you the main point of Esther, how we understand Genesis 1 and 2, or the end times in Revelation, why the ESV is better than the NIV, or why the NIV is better than the ESV. We love to listen to God's word, and that's great. But God doesn't just ask us to listen. He commands us to love his word. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law, the psalmist writes. And he commands us to obey his words right here in James chapter 1. And that's a little harder because it turns out you can listen to an awful lot of sermons and do an awful lot of quiet times and fail to love or obey God's word. And we struggle to love God's word, I think, because um, in the educated post enlightenment Western world, we prefer to think. We're more comfortable in the realm of the intellectual than in the land of the emotions. Loving God's word feels a bit of an unrestrained thing to do. And how do you love a book anyway? And we struggle to obey God's word because, again, not helped by the privileged backgrounds lots of us have grown up in, but we like to be autonomous. We don't like to be told what to do. We don't like to think that we need to be told what to do by God or by anyone else. Submit, conform, obey, no thanks. There's a reason those words have fallen out of fashion. I'd rather do it my way. And we're not very good at obeying. Again, we, we can sort of pretend to. We know how to look Christian and how to sound it, we can play the part. But we're not so great at actually obeying what God says. At least that's what James thinks. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. We have so little idea how often the words that spill out of our mouths on a Wednesday evening deny the words that we've sung, prayed and said on a Sunday morning. We're in denial about the grumpiness, the gossip, the slander, the lies, the just plain meanness that trips off our tongue on a weekly, if not daily basis. And we need to be careful that we're not deceiving ourselves, James says. Because if we say whatever we want, and the audio is switched off on Zoom, when we're just texting our friends, when we're offloading with our spouse, we need to be careful. So if we just say whatever we want, then we have not much of a claim to be followers of Jesus at all. And we, uh, we think it's all in our heads, this being a Christian, that it's all and it's only about ticking boxes on censuses, agreeing with doctrinal statements, uh, picking the ancient theology or the branch of the Christian church today that we want to align ourselves with. 
We think it's all thoughts, feelings, words following Jesus. And it's certainly not less than what we believe, think, feel and say. But that on its own isn't enough. Jesus wants our whole bodies. He wants our whole lives. Not just our minds and our mouths. Verse 27. The religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. If you call yourself a Christian, really care less about the poor, the vulnerable, the helpless, the homeless person on the street you just look away, your elderly and isolated neighbour you don't even know their name, the ex-offender interviewed on TV makes you recoil in horror, and then have you really understood what state you were in before God found you and saved you and lifted you up from the pit of despair? But the other way too, if you only care about social action, you're on a mission to make the world a better place. You've devoted your free time, your career, your life to the cause. Have you really understood how holy God is? How sinful this world is? How deep the problem goes? And how desperately you need to be changed? Following Jesus is not just a matter of words, thoughts, feelings or actions. It takes the whole of your life, just as following God to the whole of Jesus. And so again, our hearts feel heavy. But there is hope, there is grace. Verse 25, whoever looks intensely into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. If you think of God's word, his righteous law stated to Moses, expounded in the Old Testament, fulfilled in Jesus, reappropriated in the gospel, if you think of those words as outdated, irrelevant, a cruel taskmaster, then yes, you're going to struggle to love and obey it. But if you realise that God's word is not antiquated and dull, but perfect, if you realise that it leads not to repression and captivity, but to freedom. If you realise that following it leads not to affliction, but to blessing. And it's going to be a lot easier to love and obey it. And if you realise that God's word became a person, the person Jesus Christ, it's so much easier to love and obey it. This word, it it isn't the, the code of conduct in the firm, the, uh, in our family, we set of unspoken rules, the social etiquettes that we spend our whole lives trying to work out and follow. This word is a person, the person of Jesus Christ, the perfect person of Jesus Christ, who gave his whole life that we might be free. So where's your heart at when it comes to God's word? You good at listening? Probably. Done a decent job from what I've seen this morning. <laughs> but do you love God's word? Or are you listening like the reluctant but seemingly well-behaved school child, their eyes on the teacher, 
but they're mind focused on the bell that's about to ring so they can get out and play. Or do you love God's words? Do you relish looking in the mirror it gives you? Desperate to lap up more? Do you enjoy dwelling on and turning over in your mind what you've read rather than just comprehending it to moving straight on to the next bit? And how is obeying God's word going? How do you feel when that what does this mean for us question crops up at home? Can you answer it? Do you snap your Bible shut as soon as you've read and understood what the passage is saying in your quiet time, muttering a cursory prayer as you head out the door? Or do you come humbly, ready to, ready to sit, submit, and learn that you are wrong and be shown a better way to live? Do you put into practice what you read with your heart, your hands, your mouth, your feet? Or does your brain just get a little bit bigger with each new sermon? Do you deny Christ by your words, your unbridled tongue, in your unguided moments? Do you care about the poor and the vulnerable? And do you also care about becoming more godly and not so tainted by the world's sin? Where's your heart? When it comes to not just listening to, but loving and obeying God's word. For this word is not a set of restrictive rules forced upon you to make you suffer and to judge you. It is God's perfect word of life, made flesh in his Son and given to you, that you might be free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that has given us life, given us birth, the word that you have planted in us, the word that is perfect and that will save us, giving us freedom. And we repent of how intellectual we can be, how hypocritical we can be, as we read the Bible simply to comprehend what the words say and what they mean. By your spirit, move our hearts that we might better love your word, that we might more faithfully obey it, and that we might follow your Son, who is the Word, become flesh. Amen. Amen.